It's New Year Revenge Reshuffle Madness. Everyone must go. Now, wait a second. A few people must go. Now, hang on. A couple of people should probably go if they don't mind too much. Labour is left struggling with trying to keep their show on the road, hoping that something will turn up. That is one expert view. Coming up, we will try to make sense of the senseless. And as if that's not exciting enough, we'll also look ahead to the event that's got everybody in spasms of excitement. Yes, it's the EU referendum. Hello, Happy New Year and all that. Uh, Paul Osborne here to start another year of Political Japes, reunited after the holidays with Robert Meekin. Robert, I trust you've now taken down the uh, festive twig at your country estate. Absolutely, yes. It's all down, the mistletoe, everything, all gone. Sad, sad. Well, how was your Christmas? Good? Relaxing? You can't be a Labour Party frontbencher then. Apparently their festivities were, quotes, ruined by rumours of the revenge reshuffle we've been enjoying at such leisure this week. True to his word, no sooner had Parliament returned than Jeremy Corbyn started the talks on this big-name shake-up, which lasted for 36 hours and saw more people resigning in protest than actually being sacked or demoted. Uh, Robert, I'm going to get back to what I seem to spend half of my life doing now, which is uh, annoying uh, Jeremy Corbyn's fans. Of course, that is your re that's your raison d'etre. Without it, I'm nothing. Wasn't the whole point of this reshuffle, as we were told over and over and over again over Christmas... We were going to punish Hillary Benn. We were going to get rid of the Hillary Benn problem by moving him somewhere where he couldn't publicly humiliate Jeremy Corbyn by disagreeing with him. And they've done that by leaving him exactly where he is. Yes. I mean, before the, the events unfolded this week, we were hearing about this very ruthless cutthroat Jeremy Corbyn, who we've obviously never seen or heard of before. And of course, as this week has proven, that man actually doesn't exist because he, after much prevarication, he certainly couldn't get rid of Hillary Benn as he undoubtedly wanted to. He's marched his army up the hill saying, I'm going to deal with this character, Ben. I'm going to make sure that he doesn't cross me in the future. And then he's marched them back down the hill, having said, oh, no, it's all been resolved now. Don't worry about it. So it's another display of stunning strength. I suppose his ideal scenario was to sort of fudge the issue and possibly yeah, move, you say, move Ben sideways in some forms. You say maybe the swap with Burnham. And when it was clear that that wasn't on the table and B, you know, more importantly, that there could be an almighty fuss straight rebellion if he did dare to do it, he hastily retreated. So whether, in fact, he ever intended you know, to adapt an out and out sacking is debatable. I think maybe he just wanted to put sort of Ben in the long grass somewhere where he could do less harm. And of course, Ben and his allies weren't going to play ball and Corbyn didn't feel strong strong enough to, to see it through. I think, yeah, he's, he's probably given, left himself with more complications just weeks away, I'm sure. Well, of course, we were told that uh, there were all these members of the Shadow Cabinet who were poised to walk out if he did sack Hillary Benn or demote Hillary Benn, which makes you wonder about his advisers, who were quite happy to brief newspapers for the 12 days of Christmas, that Hillary Benn's comeuppance was a moment away. Ken Livingstone, never one for being controlled, but it was often on the airwaves, essentially saying in less than coded language that uh, the Hillary Benn was brown bread. Uh, so, yeah, it's it, it fair to say that the briefing operation was less than disciplined, rather chaotic. And you have to wonder just how much control Corbyn really has over that presently, how much he has control wise over his so-called inner circle. So he sacks two people who most voters haven't heard of, accuses them of disloyalty, accuses one of them of incompetence, then watches three more walk out in protest. People sat outside his office for 
two days waiting to see what happened. And actually, in the end, not very much happened. No, no, I, exactly. I, I think, as you say, maybe, maybe the, the big move, once, once that had fallen away, I, you know, all the pieces didn't quite add up for Corbyn after that, once the Ben plan had failed. And so, as you say, then it was a fairly, fairly minor, almost petty looking reshuffle, really, with you know, Michael Duggar going for being slightly loud and rude, which anyone who knows Michael Duggar knows that's not a new development. And, you know, another sort of lesser figures again disappearing who most of the electorate have never heard of before. I have to say, when these uh, when these uh, these things occur, you can't help wondering whether some of these lesser known Labour ministers rather than enjoyed their moment in the spotlight once they had resigned or sat or been sacked, because in fact, you know, most of the time they barely get noticed. We're joined now in the studio by somebody who was fired today, who you haven't heard of and will barely remember a day from now, but he's going to spend the next ten minutes telling us that Jeremy Corbyn's a git. And he always thought he was a git, even though he took a job in his shadow cabinet. He thought, I'm going to work for this git until he sacks me, the git. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I, I, I know Michael Duggar, who was you know, the most high profile casualty, probably initially, the, the shadow ex-shadow culture secretary, was very quick to make an almighty fuss, even changing his uh, his Twitter description and all the rest of it. So he, he did behave like quite a drama queen. Now, hopefully over the holidays, you uh, found the time to listen to our interview with Tony Travers from the London School of Economics, talking about the state of politics at the end of 2015. If not, by the way, why not? Are you doing something more important? Uh, the good news is that it is still available to download just below this episode. And uh, the even better news is you can have a little listen now to some of what Tony had to say about Labour's prospects for the next year. You look at the Labour, uh, Parliamentary Labour Party today, uh, very few of them voted for Jeremy Corbyn or have much sympathy for his and his clique of supporters and views. So Jeremy Corbyn's in a slightly odd position uh, that he's in a system which relies on the leader having the confidence of the people around them in that chamber or in that uh, institution where he doesn't. If he were a president, it wouldn't matter. If you are president and your, you know, your electorate is the whole population or at least your activists to get you to the point where you face the electorate, fair enough. But here, you really need to have those MPs in Parliament on your side. And then if they're not, they will be an endless source of leaks, challenges. Then again, Robert, you could argue what Jeremy Corbyn has done since he became leader is tried to accommodate all strands of opinion, tried to bring people into his shadow cabinet who disagreed with him and that didn't work. So he's now going to try to remake the top team of the Labour Party in his image. And while that won't make the MPs very happy, it will please the activists. Yeah, but it's a it's a very confusing approach because, as you say, he wanted to bring in a variety of points of view and have this sort of healthy rainbow coalition of, of Labour politicians. That's barely lasted months. And now you've got this fiasco where you've got sort of uh, Hillary Benn, for example, being told that, yes, you can you can say certain things on the front bench. Then you have to run off and sit on the back bench to say something else. It's a very, very convoluted and inevitably farcical state of affairs they've got themselves in. This was suggested. This idea that you could scuttle off to the back benches to disagree with Jeremy Corbyn and scuttle back to the front bench afterwards was suggested as one of the compromises ahead of the Syria vote. It was rejected as absolutely ridiculous, what, four weeks ago? And of course, you could argue now that they've been put in a panic with the Ben situation. and This is their way of fudging it. But it certainly will not work. And it's very difficult to see in terms of the Hillary Benn situation how long this could last. How can he not contradict Corbyn? 
on foreign policy when he disagrees with Corbyn on foreign policy. It's inevitably going to happen. This week, we had the housing bill. Massive, massive reforms to public housing voted through at two o'clock in the morning with barely a voice raised in protest from the opposition benches. We're hearing local councils talking about savage cuts that they're going to have to impose in the next year or so. Huge questions over the state of the country's flood defences. If the Labour Party were looking for reasons to get stuck into the government, there are plenty. They just need to stop getting stuck into each other. Yeah, and obviously that's the ideal scenario if you're a Labour supporter or Labour member. But the truth is, I, th- I still think that's some way off. The What was initially described as nasal gazing, well, it's worse than that really, isn't it now? Because it's got all the hallmarks of a, a civil war still inside the party. The political debate in terms of the Labour Party is with itself still. It's not about you know, holding David Cameron to account. Well, let's briefly get back to uh, Tony Travers, because uh, many of us, when Jeremy Corbyn was elected as leader not that long ago, said that we'd be surprised if he lasted six months. So I asked Tony to look a year ahead. Where would we be at the end of 2016? It looks as if we're going to be in a position that is more like today than even my instincts tell me we will be, if that's not a slightly contradictory answer, i.e., you know, it's hard to see how the Labour Party can continue exactly as it is for a whole, for another year. But Jeremy Corbyn shows every signs of wanting to stay put. Uh, he has supporters, you know, he's got some supporters in Parliament and they are articulate. He's got some powerful supporters outside Parliament in the party. And, you know, I think the big test will be what happens in the local elections, not so much the Scottish election, but the local elections and perhaps the London mayoral election. If they don't go well for the Labour Party, that may make Corbyn's position a bit less tenable. But, you know, the fact that nobody can think of a way out from this particular corner means that either Jeremy Corbyn resigns, and even that wouldn't necessarily mean that if there were another leadership election, you wouldn't end up with somebody of his politics, or he stays put, which is more likely, and Labour is left struggling with trying to keep their show on the road, hoping that something will turn up. Robert, those elections in May are the really big test. Now, Labour's doing a very clever thing by effectively writing off the Scottish Parliament already, saying, well, that's not going to happen. We're going to get our asses kicked in Scotland. The local elections will be tricky for them in England because they are a repeat of the battles that were fought in 2012. 2012 was Ed Miliband's best performance in an election as Labour leader. The only possible boost he could get here, it looks like Sadiq Khan is already significantly ahead in the race to become Mayor of London. But Labour is pretty strong in London. Labour gained seats in London in the last general election when they were beaten soundly. Would that really be enough? No, I, well, I have a feeling, a theory about this re just Corbyn's core support. And although if they do perform badly in local elections in May, there'll be a huge media furore. You'll have all manner of Labour MPs coming out saying this isn't good enough. Will that be enough to unseat Corbyn? Because I'm not sure his actual core support, i.e. the people who put him in as leader, are actually overly concerned about Labour performing amazingly well in elections presently, to be honest. I think they're more concerned with the fact that they've got their man in rather than a Blairite or a Brownite. And I think they'll they'll want him to stay there and forge ahead despite what they would consider to be the, the ignorant electorate in inverted commas. Onwards to glorious defeat. I think so. I think there is a, a part of that. Now, on the flip side, 
the majority of the Labour Party membership may want Corbyn to stay. I think there's a, there's a good chance that Corbyn may buckle under the pressure on a personal level at that point. And maybe there is an argument to say that he may then actually say, OK, I've had enough. I just can't take this level of flack any longer. So he may go on that regard. But as for the party being able to oust him themselves, I'm not sure that'd be the case. Well, those elections are happening at the start of May. And the way things are going, we could be back at the polling stations a few weeks later. Officially, the referendum on Britain's membership of the EU is due by the end of next year. But David Cameron is absolutely desperate to get it out of the way. And the latest rumour is that it will probably happen in the summer of this year. But if the Prime Minister wanted to present a united front in support of whatever deal he manages to secure from other EU nations, he has this week accepted that won't happen. My intention is that at the conclusion of the renegotiation, the government should reach a clear recommendation and then the referendum will be held. But it is in the nature of a referendum that it is the people, not the politicians, who decide. And as I indicated before Christmas, there will be a clear government position but it will be open to individual ministers to take a different personal position while remaining part of the government. Robert, I think it's a measure of how deep the crisis in Labour now is that more hasn't been made of this this week. This is the defining issue of this parliament, this referendum. Cameron has repeatedly said he will get the deal he wants from the EU. He will be able to recommend a vote to stay in the European Union. And he has now said... But you can campaign from within the cabinet in direct opposition to his view and stay in your job. The prime minister has conceded he cannot hold his own cabinet on the most important issue of this parliament. It's a surreal state of affairs. I mean, I have to say, I think the dam was always going to burst on this because there are so many conservative MPs who essentially do want an EU exit and controlling that in any sort of meaningful, realistic way, it probably wasn't feasible. It's a, a turf war that goes back, you know, 25, 30 years in the Conservative Party, as we well know, back to the origins of Thatcher having to be booted out of office, for goodness sake, it's a long time ago. And a number of Tory MPs have waited for this you know, for, you know, for decades. So let's uh, line up who's going to campaign for an exit from inside the cabinet. I mean, Ian Duncan Smith's kind of a given, I suspect. Michael Gove, quite possibly. Chris Grayling, apparently, is the one who's been pushing Cameron pretty hard to, to give this concession, to allow them to campaign. But I wonder about the impact on some of the more ambitious members of the cabinet. I wonder if you're Theresa May, say, who is not keen on the EU, or Sajid Javid, who's not massively keen on the EU, your heart is telling you that you should campaign to leave the European Union. Your head is telling you that if David Cameron wins that vote, he'll probably demote you, and that's probably the end of your chance of being the next leader. It's a massive calculation on the parts of the so-called Tory leadership frontrunners presently, uh, George Osborne, we obviously know where he's going to be. But in terms of Theresa May, in terms of Boris Johnson, who, who are both well known, you know, said to be on the Eurosceptic side of things, you know, it, 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 will be, it will be very difficult for them also to, to hold their tongues, particularly if you're Boris Johnson, for goodness sake. Yeah, if, if, if you actually really believe we should be leaving, yet you're going to, but still stand there diligently alongside the Prime Minister and campaign for the contrary. I think it'd be very, very difficult. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of break, if one of them 
you know, does does try, it plays the wild card, so to speak. Right now, the Conservative Party, as it cuts benefits, as it cuts budgets to councils, which is going to have an impact on all sorts of local services, as it massively reforms housing in a very controversial way, is doing it with almost no scrutiny and certainly no proper opposition from the opposition party. And the, this is, in the past, the Conservative Party has fallen apart over Europe. The divisions over Maastricht in the mid-90s kick-started the decline that led to them being kicked out so comprehensively in 1997. The difference is that in 1997, there was, whatever you think of the politics, a Labour Party that was focused purely on winning power on standby as a credible alternative government. The problem is there's a YouGov study out in the last couple of days that just shows the great majority of voters do not see Labour right now as a credible governing party and they cannot conceive of Jeremy Corbyn as a credible future prime minister. I am climbing back on the hobby horse that I've been on so many times. If you are an opponent of the Conservative Party, I contend that Jeremy Corbyn's actions, the only thing they are achieving is making the Conservatives more secure in government. The very things that you don't want to happen are more likely to happen the longer he stays there. Yes, I mean, I could only say on the flip side that the Conservatives might walk into a bit of a trap here because the Labour Party is in such a pitiful state presently. It may breed... You know, continued indulgence, arrogance, you know, on the navel gazing on the part of of the prominent members of the Tory party. And I just wonder that what the medium term effect, looking further ahead, might be if the Tories here, essentially at their most powerful time, you know, for a generation with the Labour Party on its knees, there was almost suddenly that excuse to be behave badly. I think inside the Conservative ranks, if they start really bashing each other up and actually forgetting about the responsibility of actually the fact they are the ruling party of the country. I wonder, slightly further down the line, if, for argument's sake, the Labour Party wakes up, Corbyn is removed, and a more more, um, potent leader comes in, maybe this could still backfire on the Tories, but in the medium term. I'm not saying this is a grand strategy on the part of the Labour Party. (laughs) That's that's their secret strategy. We'll appoint somebody who absolutely nobody thinks is a possible prime minister. <laughs> we'll, and, that, and that will fool the Tories into making a series of strategic mistakes. That is when we will pounce. Yes, that's, that's Lord Mandelson sitting in a room plotting this as we speak. Well, with Robert's grand political conspiracy <laughs> ringing in your ears. Just you watch, everyone. Just you watch. You mark the day. Head down to William Hills right now. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you for listening. Do get in touch on Twitter at uh, Paul Osborne. And why not hit the subscribe button? Let's all make subscribing to this podcast a New Year's resolution. We do both have to eat, you know. Until next time, from Robert and myself, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.